bats have had a bad rap, really, what with being blamed for the coronavirus and being a bit creepy. But they are extraordinary. They live for an unusually long time and they are resistant to the ill effects of viruses, which they are able to control um, by not having too much response and neither too little. In other words, they can control the inflammation that afflicts us. And we would like some of what they have. Uh, geneticist Emma Keeling founded the University College of Dublin's Bat Lab and co-founded a project to map all bat genomes. And there are about 1,400 species of bat. She joins me now from Dublin. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well. How long do bats live for then? So that's a, it's a great question. So there's about 1,500 species of bats on our planet. One in five of every living mammal is actually a bat. And the only way that we know how long they live for is when we catch them as babies and we put a little tag on them or we catch them as an adult, we put a little tag on, we release them and we catch them again. And that means that these microcaptures are called, they're limited to probably about 70 bat species. But the bat species that holds the record is this bat called Myotis brantii. It was caught as an adult and it was caught 41 years later. Now, what's extraordinary about this is that it was so small. It weighed about a third of a lab mouse. And small things typically don't live for a long time. So if you're to equate for body size, this would indicate that that species was living up to about 250 human years, given body size, without showing any signs of aging. And the majority of bats that we studied in this way live way, way longer than expected, given their body size. Why don't very small things live for a long time? It's something to do with the metabolic rate, but can you elaborate on that? Yes. So um, it's got to do, so having a high level of metabolism comes with the cost. So think of a Ferrari producing all of these free radicals, very, very high engines, high combustion, high bad side effects. And so it's been argued that these high, high metabolic processes produce an awful lot of bad things, such as free radicals that we talked about. And what this does is this breaks up your DNA. This really overexcites your immune system. And this drives this premature aging process. But bats, again, so, so typically in nature, you can predict how long something can live for, given its body size. You know, whales live for a whale a really long time. Shrews live for a very short time. But again, bats are booking this trend being the smallest mammals in the world, but living for the longest time given their body size. And so bats have found a way to defuse the ill effects from their high metabolism. Yes. And their high metabolism potentially has come from the fact that bats have uniquely evolved flight. So bats are the only mammals that can actually fly. Other things, just as I say, they fall with style. They glide. They don't fly. <laughs> and flight is one of the most metabolically costly of all forms of locomotion. And so they'll expend three times more energy over the course of their lifetime compared with a similar size, small, smaller mammal. 
And we've been shown that they produce this, this, this high metabolic rate induced by flight causes a lot of these free radicals. They produce lots and lots of them. So they've had to evolve ways to deal with the negative side effects of this high metabolism potentially driven by flight. Why have they? I mean, have birds? Well, birds are extraordinary as well, actually. So the two groups of vertebrates, animals with backbones, that live way, way longer than expected given their body size are the bats and the birds. And there's this fantastic ecological study done. They looked at 700 different uh, vertebrates to try and work out what correlates with this longer lifespan. They did all every type of statistical analysis you could possibly think through, you know, the baby and the bath water at it and found that flight itself seems to correlate with longer lifespan. So birds also live for a very, very long time, given their body size. I mean, if you think of some of these um, wonderful seabirds, uh, these fulmers, and there's pictures of this, you know, young scientist in his, he's 16 and being brought out as an intern and ringing this chick and coming back in his 60s, looking old and gray and catching this bird. And she's beautiful sitting there, no signs of aging. They also do it. So where do naked mole rats fit in? Now, they're also an extraordinary creature. Ah. So they, and quite interesting. So naked mole rats are the longest lived of all rodents given yes. their body size. And, and they can live up to 30 years. And they shouldn't be doing that. I mean, they're rodents. Rodents typically don't live for a long time. So they live for very long given their body size. But they're living in a very different system. They're like an ant-like system where they have a queen and she's a hierarchy and, and she has all her offspring. Um, very, very different to bats, but they also have evolved something unique to allow them to slow down the aging process. There's cool research that just come out now on what they're doing. Is it relating to your bat research or something completely different? It's completely different. So they've seemed to have evolved a very different way of achieving this this longer lifespan, which is hyaluronic acid. Um, the one thing that so the, the naked moments are wonderful. But they're just one species of rodent that actually can achieve this. And some other mole rats can do this as well. But what's unique about the bats, what I really like to think about is the majority of bats are these super agers. So you've got potentially 1,500 different unique solutions in how we can slow down aging, but also how we can fight viruses and live with them are found within bat genomes. And obviously you think the secret is in the genome. How far are you into mapping all those genomes? So um, myself and Sonia Vernes, who's in St. Andrews, both set up Bat1K, which is this global consortium whereby we want to sequence the genome of every single living bat species to reference quality assembly so that we'll know what each single base pair is in the genome. So we've been driving this initiative really, and it just started off as a good idea since about 2017. And we've sequenced about 113 of them now, which is quite extraordinary given the reference quality. And we we'll keep on going. So as usual, we're trying to raise money and we're trying to raise awareness and we're, we're, we're starting to develop this. We, we're at, we've got our phase one genome data is actually sequenced. We're working with some amazing scientists also in uh, New Zealand with Neil Gemmell ah. to sequence your, your one unique family of bats that you found in New Zealand are the Mysticina Day. Really interesting short tail bats that you have here, unique in, in New Zealand. And, uh, there's a big, huge ongoing movement to be able to sequence this genome and put it all together to have this wonderful bat as part of our phase one bat one case study. 
They don't have very many genes, do they? They have just the same amount of genes as we do. Do they? I thought so, they had the smallest genome size of all animals. They have the smallest genome size of all animals, but they have the same amount of genes. Ah. Ah. So they have they're they're for for mammals they have the smallest they've they've they're it's about two GB their genomes typically but they have the same amount of genes. I'm not so sure not, I understand they, that. What's a genome if it isn't the number of genes? So what your genome is is your full complement of DNA that you find in the cell, and within this DNA you have your genes, and your genes are the things that code for the proteins. There's about twenty two thousand genes. But there's lots of other, what they used to call it, the dark matter in your genome, which are the regions that don't code for genes, that the regions that code for regulatory um, uh, regulatory markers. They used to call uh, that junk DNA, right? Yeah, they used to call it junk DNA. And in reality, it's the really important stuff that's regulating when things get switched on, when things get switched off. There's introns. There's a whole bunch of viruses that you'll find within these genomes. There's transposable elements. That's the kind of exciting stuff that we can now really start to look at. And what's your working hypothesis? About what that stuff is or about what bats have evolved to slow down aging? Yeah, how bats have evolved, for example, to have uh, little inflammation, which is our bugbear. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. So I think it also has to do with flight. So let's think about... Let's imagine way back 65 million years ago when the first fossil bat or the first pre-bat was starting to take flight and was very high, highly, highly metabolically costly. So what happens is with this high metabolism, when the DNA is getting broken up all of the time, when there's this really kind of excited state, typically enough, it will cause this infl inflammation. It will wake up the immune system. And the immune system become very, very inflamed, and that's not good. It drives aging. So bats have had to evolve mechanisms to slow down this and not respond to this constant sterile inflammation they should find. So when you look within the genomes, and work that was originally done by Lymph Wang's group in Singapore, the entire suite of these inflammasome genes called the pion genes are actually missing. And they're missing in every bat that you look at, every bat genome, and they're present in all other mammals which means that they've had to modulate their immune response. So they potentially um, dampen inflammation. They don't get inflamed as we did. So what other things that we've seen when you look at the genome is that you find this evolutionary selection. So different parts of the genes that drive their immune response are under different types of evolutionary pressures in bats compared to other mammals. They're missing some genes. They've selected huge changes in other genes. They have this huge expansion of these antiviral genes plus this modulated anti-inflammatory uh, genes. So my hypothesis, what must have had to happen or hypothesized could have happened is that bats evolved ways to be able to dampen this constant sterile inflammation they experience for their high metabolic rate. They had to, to be able to fly. And what does that meant? was that when they were faced with a pathogen, a virus, a microbe, rather than getting really, really overexcited as we do, and if, unfortunately with SARS-CoV-2, what killed you was your over, overexcited, heightened immune response. Bats can find ways to dampen that because they've evolved this anti-inflammatory mechanism to be able to deal with the deleterious uh, signs of flight. Oh, sorry. 
Hello? Yes. Are you still there? Yes. My question is, if they've dampened down their inflammatory response, how do they fend off all those viruses? What's what's their kind of middle way? Oh, we seem to have lost the link to Emma. See if we can get her back. We're talking to Professor Emma Teeling. She's a geneticist. She founded the University College of Dublin's Bat Lab. And she's the co-founder of the Bat 1K project, which, as she explained, involves uh, New Zealand scientists as well, aiming to map the genomes of all 1,500 species of bat. Are you back with us, Emma? No, oh, I don't. Hello? I don't quite know what's oh. going on. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me now? I can. Somebody's okay. Good. I'm not quite sure what happened there. Oh, somebody's plug probably dropped out. They do that randomly. My question is, I don't <laughs> okay. know whether I don't know whether you heard it. How have bats managed to dampen down their inflammatory response, but at the same time be able to fend off? all those viruses so effectively, what's the middle way that they have? That's, that's a brilliant question. Because what they do, so they, they've switched off one part of the inflammatory response, but what they've done, in return, they have evolved this really, really aggressive antiviral response. So they have their interferons, these, these, these very, very uh, antiviral, very inflammatory genes switched on all of the time. And what they're able to do is they're able to mount this perfect Goldilocks response. And this Goldilocks response is, so when faced with the patient, we were able to take, uh, we were able to take back bone marrow, turn them into immune cells, stimulate them to try and understand what happens when they're faced with an infection. And we find that they get this very, very aggressive antivirus response first. So they neutralize the virus. And then what they do is they, they quickly dampen that with an equally aggressive anti-inflammatory response. So they're able to do both. So they can maintain this homeostasis, neutralize the virus, then neutralize their own immune response to maintain homeostasis. So you're not planning on whacking bat genes into human beings. What's your idea of the applicability of this research? So is that would be a bit like Spider-Man turns Batman. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, the applicability of this research that really, once we understand what bats do, when's the right time to give enough antiviral? Uh, antiviral and when, when, when is enough time to switch that off to survive an infection? What we can do is we can drug our immune system. And actually, the immune system is one of the easiest things to drug. So we have the same genes. So you can switch it on, switch it off. You can mimic the antiviral or anti-inflammatory response with drugs. Um, there's work that's being done right now, and you'll find some of these bat genes are much more potent anti-inflammatory responders than other genes. So we'll be able to make drugs to mimic this. And how long do you imagine that that might take? I think it's happening right now. So I think it will take because we're we're we we're I suppose twenty years into these discoveries and we now have prime key targets that we need to work with. Um, I would say five to ten years. 
And that will enable us to live longer or live more healthily or both. It's the same thing, I suppose. Well, I think the first drugs that will happen will be the ones to allow us to deal with disease. So have a better outcome from the flu, have a better outcome from SARS, have a better outcome from infectious diseases. That's the easier part. But the way that we can find drugs to be able to help us extend our health span, we're still working out whether or not those these unique immune tweaks of the bats also drive their extended health spans. So that will take, potentially it's the same thing, maybe it's not. You may have to couple this modified immune response with also an ability to repair DNA, because it looks like the bats are also doing. So maybe the two things together. So I think first things first, we'll find a better way to be able to fight infectious diseases. Later down the line, we'll see, does that also drive their their health span? Um, And we'll learn from bats in that way. What do bats have telomeres? You know, telomeres were the big thing with the naked mole rats. Telomeres are the, you know, the ends that become frayed and seem to play a large part in aging. Do bats telomeres fray? Uh, that's a very good question. So we've also done, so we, we studied this wild population of the longest lived bats, these myotis bats in France. We've been doing so really now for the past 12 years. And we asked the question, as bats age, do their telomeres, those protective caps at the ends of their chromosomes, shorten with age as would be expected? As happens in, in most other mammals. And in the longest lived bat species, they do not. So their telomeres do not shorten with age. And the question is, how is this possible? Uh, typically, an enzyme gets switched on, which is telomerase, uh, which is in any of your pre-egg or your pre-sperm cells. It has to be switched on to make sure that you have the full complement of all your chromosomes and your DNA. But the problem with switching on this enzyme is that's what cancer cells do. So it's not good to have that enzyme switched on when you're not making egg or sperm cells. But the bats seem to have evolved ways to be able to maintain their telomeres without getting cancer. And that's really a major, major achievement that we need to look into. There's an awful lot of very rich people tossing money into anti-aging projects. They're all obsessed with living longer, it seems. (laughs) Are you getting a lot of money thrown at you? No, (laughs) not yet. Um, Interesting enough that people, I read the, unfortunately SARS-CoV-2 did bring to light the fact that these zoonotic diseases can hop between species and into humans with devastating effect. So definitely the sequencing of the genomes has gotten much more funding because of this. With the aging research, what we do is we're still fighting long and hard trying to get funding, um, as everybody is in the aging world. Um, Hopefully it's going to change and we get some cool results. Any rich billionaire out there who wants to learn from bats, please come and talk to me. I'm surprised that they haven't already, actually. I think they're probably inundated with a lot of other things. You know, you've got killifish and naked mole rats and humans and mice. Um, but we are working together and talking in these things. And when you go to these meetings, a lot of the scientists come together and think, what's the next step that we need to do? So definitely awareness has been raised. All right. So what's your next aim? Finish mapping all these genomes and then what happens? So we're going to finish mapping all of these genomes. We're then going to, we're keeping our aging studies of the long-lived and the short-lived bats. Um, we're moving now into really looking at a more fine-scaling the response of bat immune cells because we make all our predictions from the genomes. 
we go out in the wild and we see that they hold good. But what we really need to do is we need to now identify the regulators, which is the gene, which is a switch that allows the bats to repair their DNA or dampen their inflammation, for example. And we have some targets right now, but what we have to do is we have to then go back in the lab and we have to functionally validate them. So the best way to do would be to stick it into a human, but that's not going to happen. So what we need to do is we need to go and put them into model organisms. And one of these would be C. elegans, those nematodes, or into a mouse. It can crisper a mouse and you knock in a bat gene and you see, right, we think that it's this gene or it's this regulatory factor that drives their anti-aging response. Knock it in and see does it have an effect. And once we achieve this and we go from the bat to the bench, we can then go to the bedside by really showing that our predictions work. Excellent to talk to you. Thank you, Professor Emma Teeling, who is the founder of the University College of Dublin's BAT Lab.